Heavenly Father, please, would you make us ready to listen your Holy Spirit proclaim the Lord Jesus right to our hearts, to everything about the way we're living at this moment. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Amen. The king's demand is impossible. No one except the gods can tell you your dream, and they don't live here among people. That's the mages, the policy wonks, the experts. Prime Minister Rishi Sunak, David Cameron even, in Babylon, in Daniel chapter 2. And it's a really prevalent view since then, even though that was thousands of years ago. And it's more than just mind reading this terrifying dictator's dream. This idea that the gods don't dwell among people affects all kinds of things. We have this and anything from outside Don't get your hopes up. There's nothing that everyone can acknowledge is above all the mess. We've got our wits and we've got all our confusion and all our fighting about what we ought to do. There were recent articles about OpenAI, the person who's doing ChatGPT and all those weird artificial intelligence things. The CEO in one of their meetings started up a chant, feel the AGI, feel the AGI, and a religious service around the programme they were making. He got sacked shortly after that, but people wanted him back because they wanted their cult leader to lead them into building a god. That's what these guys are talking about in Silicon Valley. It's just another expression of how completely cut off we feel from something genuinely spiritual, out of this world, divine. We are modern materialists and we don't believe in such things, even when we try to make ourselves do it. We've got plenty of ways of doing things faster, making things more comfortable. But hearing from outside? Oh, well, that's aliens or algorithms or space trips to Mars. That's all we've got for the transcendent. The top searches on Google year after year most often read like prayers. I've been struck by that. How when you type something in, it is like you're praying to the internet. Sort this problem out for me. One of the top requests to Google, who am I? Why is Google going to know the answer to that? But we do it anyway, don't we? The other one, what should I watch? You don't talk to a mate, you talk to Google. Oh yeah, everyone likes this one. Or this has just come up on Netflix. Talking to a computer about how a computer can entertain us. When we give up on hearing from outside, we look down, within and around, hoping for some voice that will make sense of all the confusion and the noise. In the Bible, prophets are the definitive voice from outside because they speak for the Trinity, about the Trinity, and particularly the second person of the Trinity, the angel of the Lord incarnate, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus has prophets. All the voices that have ever genuinely been speaking from outside for the living God have proclaimed him. Last week, we looked at Jesus' warnings in Mark's gospel as the descendant of the patriarchs who waited for and obeyed him. 
But now we're going back to the beginning of the same book with the lectionary in the Church of England to see the prophets who proclaimed him before he became a man. Verses 1 to 2, we're really only looking at the first three verses of our Mark reading today. Verses 1 to 2, Jesus' prophets proclaim his reign. Jesus' prophets proclaim his reign. Verse 1, this is the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. It began just as the prophet Isaiah had written, look, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you and he will prepare your way. Bam, straight in there, no warning. Mark is like that. It's just relentless pace from the beginning. He doesn't argue or tentatively suggest or present the references of this guy. He doesn't ask us to hit the like button or subscribe for more content. He stands with the prophets and says, this Jesus is the guy they were talking about. He's king of everything. Deal with it. That's the opening of the gospel. Because the good news, we know it is gospel. It's deliberately capital G, capital N, just to make sure we know it's that word. The evangelion, to say the Greek words. Well, that is what you used to do if you were emperor and you'd just beaten someone in a battle and you sent your herald with the gospel that you've won and now things are different. Whoever used to be in charge, it's me now. Here's all the stuff that's going to be better. Now I'm in charge. Except generally it wasn't whenever it was these emperors, was it? So in the Bible, you've got Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. Hard word to say. I don't think that's even how you're supposed to say his name. That's just like an English version. Or Sennacherib, another one. You don't tend to meet many Sennacheribs now, do you? But anyway, these two, they were the big cheeses in their day. And just before the quotation from Isaiah the prophet and the reading that we had from Stephen earlier in the service, there's a whole story about Sennacherib, who was like the mega super boss king of Assyria, sending a lackey or a herald to proclaim a gospel to Jerusalem while they were under siege. And the gospel was basically, all your base are belong to us. If it, no, none of you know that, do you? Tom might, sorry, it's a, it's a meme. So it's the idea that basically, right, okay, whatever was yours, it belongs to me now. That was the good news of this guy. Your days are numbered because my boss is such an awesome king and he's going to wipe the floor with you. That was the gospel then. Of course, it didn't go very well for that guy or for Sennacherib because a few days after that announcement, Isaiah 37, 38, 185,000 of his soldiers dead by a plague and his kids killed him. That's what happened to him when he thought he could set himself up as the super mega boss man. And Isaiah at that time, who was the real herald of the real king, said, your ridiculously powerful army won't even get through the city walls. And that's the atmosphere, is this, this beginning to Mark's gospel. The news of Mark as a herald of all the heralds before the prophets. It's bigger than if the lionesses had won. There you go, we're thinking about them again, if you remember last week. Second time maybe in the last six months that you thought about them. It's bigger than Charles's coronation. It's even bigger than the armistice or VE day. Prophets don't like the who. Here we go. Anyone know the who? You're not going to know this, are you? You know, meet the new boss, just like the old boss. Anyone got that? Do you remember that one in Don't Get Fooled Again? It was at Live 8 a while ago. Uh, It's not like that. It's not just our same old, same old. Here's a new king. He's just the same as the old one. 
This isn't announcing a new reign that's something happening a long way away and ultimately nothing to do with us. Just look at the pattern in that quotation from Isaiah. Actually, this one's from Malachi. That was part of the same book of the prophets, which is where I got Malachi first and then Isaiah, even though he says it's Isaiah. God the Father, I am sending his messenger, my messenger. We're going to find out who that is in a minute. Ahead of you, and he will pray your way. So there's three people involved. Do you see that? So this prophet is talking about another prophet who will go ahead of God himself. So when we say we feel like we haven't heard from outside, we feel like God has been murky or distant, the only way we can sustain that attitude is if we ignore God's messengers, his prophets. But ignoring them and stopping ignoring them, that's not even the key point at the start of this gospel of Jesus. Mark aligns with Malachi and Isaiah and says, whether we listen to these guys or not has no effect. Jesus is still king, whether we acknowledge him or not. And it won't stop him showing up. He's not a king far away. He's the king here now of every single one of us. The invitation is, doesn't it have to be a big surprise? Interrupting everything you thought you were getting on with. You can get yourself ready for this king if you choose to. There will be people who are prepared by this prophet, prophesied by the prophet Isaiah. We'll focus on who that messenger is next week. I hope you knew the third candle. Any of you remember? All the clues are here. Any of you remember? Let's say third candle begins with J. It's in the Thank you very much, Terry. Okay, so we'll look at him next. He's like the quintessential prophet. That's why you kind of it's all blended together. We're looking at the old ones, but he's there because he does exactly what they do. But we can see that, and we will just dip into the remaining verses in this chapter. The things John the Baptist is saying are not really new. There's the baptism thing that he's doing, which is a bit new, kind of a particular way of saying you're ready for him actually showing up, not just being eventually going to come in a few hundred years. They're saying the same thing. Just look at it. John preached that people should be baptised. Here's the key. To show they'd repented of their sins and turn to God to be forgiven. They all confess their sins, looking down, verse 5. The way you make ready for this king, who is undisputed and will reign whether we accept him or not, is saying every part of our life that currently has nothing to do with the Lord Jesus Christ needs to be washed clean and made ready for him to be in charge as he in fact is. That's why we begin every service here with confession. That's why as church we follow a pattern of prayer and fasting every day, week, month and year. That's why we wrestle against all the stuff we listen to, all those voices that we come filled with our minds every week and say, no, I'm going to listen to Jesus instead. As people who've responded to the warning of the prophets, just by being here this morning, 
we begin to realise all the false prophets we've heard all week who will distract us with absolutely anything but Jesus. When all that muck clogs our minds, thoughts and actions, we come to Jesus daily and particularly when we gather as church to get clean and be made ready for that far greater coming of Jesus at the end of days. Jesus' prophets proclaim his reign. And verse 3 Jesus' prophets challenge our normal. Jesus' prophets challenge our normal. You know the old proverb with lots of people blindfolded, standing around a giant thing, and one of them says, ah, because they've been told it's an elephant. An elephant is like a snake holding the tail. They keep long and thin, Uh, And then the other person's got the leaf. Oh, no, an elephant's like a palm leaf or the trunk. Oh, no, an elephant is like, I can't think what that would be. An anteater, a tree. Oh, sorry. Someone's got the leg. Anyway, you know that one. And you know the bit at the end, someone comes on who isn't wearing a blindfold and says, no, it's an elephant. You know, an elephant looks like an elephant. Not any of these things, you know. Person coming from outside. Now, I hate that because it suggests all religions lead to God and we've all got a thing. And of course, the person telling you the thing is the person who can see that all religions lead to God. So it doesn't have a blindfold, which is stupid because the whole point of it is we're all blindfolded, if that makes any sense. Well, the only thing that's good about it is if someone shows up who can see the big picture, then they have a right to tell us while we're murking around and blindfolded and all that kind of thing. It shows us we can get too close to a problem. There are hundreds of stories that can suck us in so that we can't see outside them. (coughs) Even though Jesus' reign covers every millimetre of the cosmos, his prophets always come to us in the wilderness from the outside. Do you see that? He is a voice, this John, shouting in the wilderness. Now, in order to, we, we think of wilderness as like a getaway, don't we? Or like a National Trust property or something like that. No, in the Bible, the wilderness means not a city. And it means barbarians will come and kill you or wild animals. A city is more than just security. It's everything. It's civilization. It's the place that human life can actually work. If you're in the wilderness, anything could happen to you. And actually, as you go through the Bible, see what cities are. It's a really good Bible study. It's an extension of the way humans have been forced to use technology, civilization, bureaucracy, supplements, tools to survive. Being inside the walls of a city is like us being somewhere with plenty of phone signal and a fiber internet connection. It's quite interesting. John and Leslie were talking about their exploits in the cabin. Uh, you needed that cabin with the underfloor heating and everything while the wind of the wrath of whatever body of water you were next to in Scotland was coming over the hill towards you. You know, we need all that. In our society, we've got obsessed with connecting even our washing machines to the internet because everything, we're trying to extend the boundaries of the city so there is no wilderness. There's nothing outside our experience. There's nothing surprising that could possibly happen. It ends up in some quite weird situations, this particular obsession with making everything safe and civilised. And have you heard of Juicero? Have you heard of that? 
There's a good reason why you haven't. So this was an incredibly expensive gadget you put in your kitchen. I think it cost $400 for as long as you could buy it. And the point of this thing was you put a kind of packet of vegetables in it and it squeezed it really, really hard so that you got automatic juice because everyone was into making like these blender things. And it was better squeezing it than blending it because then you got all the juice out and you left all the bits in. And uh, not very long after they sold these 400 pound things that had special packets to make the juice, someone discovered that you could get the same result by getting the packet and just going like that. So $400 to do something you could just as easily do by squeezing yourself. And then the guy would say, oh, no, it's connected to the Internet, so it can tell you when it goes off. And, of course, on the actual packet, there was a sell-by date. So that was another stupid thing. Like, and it tanked. Loads and loads of people invested millions in this idea that was going to make everything easier, only to discover that actually a moment's thought realised this was a waste of time. So easy. Someone somewhere, I'm sure, in a meeting said, you know that this is a big waste of money in point. They would say, oh, no, 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 it'll be fine, it'll be great, everyone will love it. That challenge from outside, it's very easy just to weave it into what we already think, to build it into our city, rather than realising there is a wilderness outside that will threaten and challenge us. I think it is that that is motivating Extinction Rebellion and Just Stop Oil at the moment. They really want to be outside to try and get us to imagine a world where we're not dependent on fossil fuels. But one thing that unites all these campaigners who try and come to us from outside (laughs) is an indifference or even hostility to Jesus. And it means there are plenty of causes that are just as worthy of their attention that don't get any attention because there isn't a social media campaign or a celebrity telling them they should care about it. Very quickly, even if, as we are in COP28 at the moment, everyone says, yes, we should be following your demands, it all gets confused. Did you see that quotation from the president of COP28 who said we should ramp up fossil fuels? They're great. So this is the leader of the green movement across the whole world saying fossil fuels are great. We are so confused. Whenever we try and take a step from outside, it all ends up getting messed up and folded into the same system and corporatized and turned into some new tech thing. Well, John the Baptist is described almost identically to another abnormal and genuinely disruptive prophet, Elijah. Both of them lived in the wilderness, the real wilderness, outside the city. They wore clothes and ate food that didn't fit with a political message or reasonable lifestyle choice. They actually spoke truth to power. Isaiah, the prophet that we quoted from and that we heard read, spent three years wandering around naked and barefoot through the city of Jerusalem. And that approach to comfortable, normal city life has continued throughout church history in monastic movements that have always accompanied churches, in the Fools for Christ. Google them if you want to see some weird stuff. Fools for Christ. The assumption of Jesus' true prophets 
is that if Jesus is king, then there will be a break for everyone who wants to follow him from what is considered normal and decent and ordinary. If our Christian life is indistinguishable from everyone around us, particularly if being a Christian is just about adding a bit of Jesus sauce to generally being a good person, whatever the current way of being a good person happens to be, then we will need to hear the prophetic challenge and it will be a rude awakening for us. There are things most Christians throughout history and down the ages have understood as normal within a completely different frame of reference for this testimony to the reign of Jesus. Like following a different calendar from the world around them, celebrating festivals nobody else has ever heard of, giving literally all of their money away sometimes and living in poverty living in communities of unmarried people who share everything and spend almost all their time praying and fasting. Being ready to confess Jesus, the king, to people who will kill them or take away everything they have when they do. Hebrews puts it as cheerfully accepting the confiscation of their property. Jesus says this to the church in Sardis. No, sorry, Smyrna. I know you're suffering and your poverty, but you are rich. Don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. The devil will throw some of you into prison to test you. That's normal Christian life. No one is ever going to commend us for doing it. It's not going to be part of the city. Do we have a taste for the profound weirdness of the life we should expect to find when we take Jesus' prophet seriously? Or other ways of living we've already decided are a bit too different from the way most people think we ought to be. Jesus' prophets show us we can't fold his ways into the normal expectations of what counts for good decisions and sound judgment. They always call to us from the wilderness, from outside. That's the testimony of the church down the ages. There is a terrible movement in the Church of England at the moment to just become an extension of government policymakers, never challenging anything in a way that's not thoroughly safe and entirely expected. The prophets have challenged for the Church of England today. May the living God have mercy on us and call us out into the wilderness again to truly wait expectantly for Jesus and his certain reign to be universally known. Therefore, to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, be ascribed all the glory, all the power, all the majesty, all the authority, now and always. Amen.